Take your Bible and go to, John, uh, to Acts chapter 15. I started to say John. Acts 15. I was looking for John to come up here and help me. That's what uh, I couldn't find you a while ago. I was looking. I said, he's gone left. He's down here at the front. Hey, this next Sunday is our Christmas festival time when we sing at 3 and 6. Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit of what's going to happen in that. Next Sunday afternoon, our presentation this year is called Hope for Everyone. And nearly every song in the whole thing has that message that Jesus brings hope for everyone. So we want you to bring everyone. everyone. And uh, to hear it and hear about the hope that Jesus uh, gives us. We'll have orchestra, choir, a lot of cool hopefully technology things that are going to work right, and uh, we'll get to share the message of Jesus in the most creative way we can. Amen. It's for Our folks that are on the Warrington campus today can get tickets down there. You're here. You can get tickets today, but it's at 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. We got five tickets left at 3 o'clock. Yeah, those are just about completely gone. I will say if you have tickets that you intended to use to invite people, bring those back and uh, turn them in at the welcome desk, and we'll definitely be able to use them. But, yeah, the 3 o'clock right now is just about completely yeah, sold I, out. I checked at the desk this morning. There were five tickets over yeah. there this morning. And so if you have those, you can help us. Bring your friends because the gospel is for everyone. We're fixing to hear of a sermon about that in just a minute, all right? Uh, I'm preaching today what they're singing next Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock, and then 6 o'clock. Uh, several tickets, but not a great many left even for six. So you be a part of it. I want you to step here. I want to pray for us. And Lord, I thank you for Brother John. Thank you, Lord, for his giftedness. And I pray, God, that you bless him. I pray for Jamie on the Warrington campus. And ask you, Lord, that uh, you would bless these men as they lead us week to week in worship. And then I pray, Father, that uh, next Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, that you would do a great work in people's hearts and lives. I pray you'd fill up this Next Steps room uh, next Sunday in the afternoon, morning, and night, drawing everyone unto yourself. Bless this, my dear co-laborer today, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Thank you John. You got your Bible here in Acts 15. We're making our way through the book of Acts, and we finished halfway through last week in chapter 14. We're going to read an extended passage, 32 verses this morning because of the context of what I want you to see in uh, Acts. As Luke writes for us in Acts 15, we come to this time right after the first missionary journey, and you won't believe it. They've been on mission. They've been touching the world and controversy erupts in the church. My soul. Nothing is new under the sun. As you get the church on fire and on mission, and the old wicked one is starting to work and drop, but the church deals with the issue. And I want to share a message that I've entitled, Let the Church Say Amen. Now, the second service usually amens me a little louder than the first service. So I need you to help me today, all right? So uh, you get along in here somewhere that you think ought to be an amen, throw one at me, would you? So just practice right now. Hey, that's pretty good for the early crowd right there, amen. Luke writing in Acts chapter 15, we begin in verse 1. We're going to read the first 32 verses. And you follow along as I read, because this now is the word of our great God. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Silas, or, or that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they had arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, saying, uh, saying, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. That's a good place right there for that amen. In the same way as they also are. And all the people kept silent. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Now, beloved, get this picture. They've gone to Jerusalem. They're working through this issue. Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Those that had come out of Judaism said, yes, you have to. But now they met for this council. And Peter has said no. Barnabas and Paul has said no. And now we're going to hear from the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Pastors are not perfect. Pastors are not without error, but pastors are to lead, and you should heed, and you should listen when you bring yourself under the authority of a church and God places a shepherd in front of you. And James stands to speak, and my soul, does he have a word from God? And James answered saying, brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. And then he quotes from Amos chapter 9. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment, James says, 
that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas, who is called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter with them. So they wrote it out, and this is what they sent. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greeted. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become uh, of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from the things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas also, being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Controversy is one of the devil's favorite tactics against the church. He works to keep the brothers and sisters squabbling with each other so that he can paralyze the body of Christ and direct all energy, one believer against another, rather than giving the church to focus on the great commission of taking the gospel to the world and making disciples everywhere. In verse number 1, we have the record of the false teaching of some that were saved people that were requiring those coming out of Judaism to come into Christ that they must also be circumcised. Hear me. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, not that is to be added to Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Not your baptism, not your good works, not your tithing, not your loving the brothers. All of those things are the byproducts of the one thing, and the one thing is Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, raised from the dead, going to ascension, and there praying for us. This is the gospel, and there is to be not one syllable added to the gospel, or you are now preaching a false gospel. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Savior, 
of the world. Find truth and stand on that truth. And I believe the church will once again say amen. So let's let the church say amen today to a few things that I want to point out out of this great doctrinal discussion that they are having here. Now get the picture. They've been on the first missionary journey. They're in Antioch. They're in the north. And in Antioch, they are arguing. This is where these Judaizers come. And they say to them, okay, we've got to discuss this. So you guys go up to Jerusalem and there with the elders and the prophets, let's dialogue and let's figure this out and let's put it to sleep. So they go up to Jerusalem. Now you say that's kind of weird because they're in the north and they're going south. Well, when you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. Even if you're traveling south, when you get to Jerusalem, you go up to the three hills, all right? So you're always going up to Jerusalem. They come south and up to Jerusalem, and there they gather the church together. And we hear from Peter, and we hear from Barnabas, though we don't think he said anything, but Paul certainly did. And then we hear from the great pastor of the church. They write this letter, and then they send them back to Antioch. And there, when they heard the good news, they rejoiced and said, Amen. When does the church say amen? I want to show you three things out of this text today. Give an invitation there in the next steps room because we don't have room down here today and we're practicing for the uh, Christmas time. But if you want to come to Christ today, come to that next steps room. I'll be waiting for you right out there in the foyer as we give God's invitation of appeal this day. Number one, amen. We with the church would say amen when the gospel is shown to be for all people. The gospel is for all people. Verse 9 and verse 11 tell us, as you see it, he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith, just as he did for us. In verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Look in Galatians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, you can turn. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 2, 7 through 9, where Paul said, But on the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter has been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his own apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked in me also to the Gentiles, and recognizing the grace that has been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, both the circumcised, uncircumcised, to the Jews and the Gentile. The gospel is for all people. I don't care who you are today listening to me on television there on the Warrington campus. You can be the heathen's heathen and I'm here to tell you, you are not beyond the reach of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can stoop and reach to the uttermost, to the depths. He will pull you from your own sin and save you. You don't bring anything you don't bring anything. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. What a Savior. And the church should say amen when it understands the gospel is for every man and every woman, no matter your moral difficulty or even your self-righteous ungodliness that you would try to bring and say, I'm good enough to get in. <laughs> There's no man or woman good enough to get in. We come by grace or we come not. 
Let the church say amen. The gospel is for all people. The year was 1744. There was a man who was in the Royal Navy in England. He was assigned to a ship. And he deserted the Royal Navy. When he was caught... He was flogged and imprisoned. He begged to get out. And he said, just assign me to a slave ship. Please let me out of here. They assigned him to a slave ship, running from the coast of Africa back and forth to Europe. You know this man's name. His name is John. John was godless. He said, I have sinned with a high hand. I have tempted all I have come in contact with, and I have seduced many others. In 1747, he was assigned to the slave ship called the Greyhound. And the greyhound was running back and forth from Africa to Europe. As the greyhound traveled loaded with slaves, the storm boiled hot. He thought he was going to die. He had been reading Thomas Akempis' book. And as he read Thomas on the image of Christ, he said, in the bottom of that old slave ship, I got on my face and I cried out to God. He said, I did not cry out to God for the right reason. I cried out to God because I didn't want to die in that storm. But nevertheless, he cried out. And when he finally got back to England, he found a preacher. And John Newton gave his heart and life to Christ. He finally got out of that old nasty business he is in. God used him with John Witherspoon to turn slavery around in England. A man that had once been a slave seller was now a man standing against it. He became a preacher, an Anglican preacher. And then he started with John Cooper, William Cooper, I mean, writing hymns. And he wrote an old song that we sing every now and again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. 
He said he was a wretch. And he was. And God took a godless man selling other humans and saved him. My Lord, if he can save John Newton, he can save you. If he can reach to the galley of a slave boat, he can reach to the belly of Olive Baptist Church, to the Warrington campus, and say, if you'd come to me, I'll forgive your sin. Cast all of it away. Wash you white as snow. He wrote four stanzas to that song. Then somebody wrote a fifth stanza. It's in your hymnal 330. It's called the anonymous stanza. Talks about when we've been there 10,000 years. Newton didn't write that. He just kept writing about grace, 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 grace. And he called it amazing grace. Jesus saves the Jew, the Gentile, the Baptist, the Mormon. Jesus save a Catholic. Jesus save a Mohammedan. See, friend, it's, it's not your title. It, it's your master. We come fall in his feet, and he saves us. Amen. Let the church say amen when the gospel is for all people. Secondly, let the church say amen when leaders stand on biblical truth. When your leaders stand on, next Sunday we're going to elect deacons, so don't miss it. Mark your ballot, do it online or with paper. But uh, when leaders stand on biblical truth, they had a church council here. And when they got to Jerusalem, uh, they came in verse 6, the apostles and the elders all came to look into this matter. You have to be circumcised. No, no. Well, which one's right? Do you have to? You don't have to. And Peter stood up. He said, let me give testimony. And Peter began to give testimony. He said, I've seen God save any and everybody. And he began to give witness of, of what had happened. Hallelujah. And then Paul, along with Barnabas, they also gave testimony about the signs and the wonders that God had done through them in verse 12 among the Gentiles. And then, as I said, they looked over at the old pastor, the pastor, James, uh, it's not a biblical term about James, but uh, Jewish history speaks of the church, and James had a nickname. He wrote that James, he's the brother of Jesus. He didn't believe at first, but then he got saved. They called him in Jewish history, old camel knees, camel knees, because he had prayed so much that his knees were calloused. James stood up and said, listen to me. You've heard what Peter said. He's right. And then the pastor said, when people get saved, there are three issues they need to deal with. Well, Jesus saves them, but there's three things they need to adhere to. This is the discipleship side, not the salvation side. 
He said there is a spiritual issue, a moral issue, and a ritual issue. He said it in the letter that they wrote right here to them. He said, first of all, that you should not eat that that is offered to idols. A church, listen to me. If you're saved, you've got to get over your idolatry. Say, so well, what's idolatry? Anything you've got in first place in your life that's ahead of Jesus, you got to die to it. You got to crucify it. You got to get rid of it. You got to make Jesus Lord, first place, only place for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You, you must get rid of all the idols in your life. Now, we don't have idols that we offer food to, and then uh, that was their culture, but we have idols in our culture. Some folks make church an idol. Some people make sports an idol. We don't get off on that, do we? Oh, God help us. There are people who didn't go to church today because their team lost yesterday. Well, that's true. They're afraid what people say to them in church. You know, about that kind of stuff, you just need to keep your mouth shut about that's what you need to do. You need to go out and have coffee. Talk about that and have fun. Some people make their wallet their idol. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just all about money, everything about money. Anything you place in first place in front of Jesus. Some people make their academic their idol I've never been tempted there <laughs> I told you again and again I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible so uh, some people want recognition oh my lord applause men's applause be an idol for you got to serve Jesus no matter what others say. James, Pastor James said, lay down the idols. That, that, that is, is the spiritual issue. Secondly, he said, there's a moral issue. No fornication. Lay aside fornication. This word in the Greek New Testament is the word pornea. You don't have to be a scholar to know what comes out of that word. Pornographic, pornea, pornography. Lay aside sexual immorality. It's easy for the church to jump up today and scream out about a lot of different things, but I'm telling you the sin we got to deal with first and foremost within the church it is adultery and fornication within the church house. One man, one woman, one life, one God, that's his way. Everything else is sin against God. It's not one man, one man, one woman, one woman. It's not two on one. 
It's one man, one woman, one God, one life. That's what the Word of God teaches. You don't have to like it. I'm just here to tell you that's what the book says. It'll cost you in this world. It'll cost you in this world to take that stand. But let me tell you, if Jesus is first, Pastor James said, lay aside the fornication. Boy, over here in next door city across the Alabama line, made headlines this week, went to prison for sexual trafficking in the youth group of a Baptist church. I'll never forget E.V. Hill. He preached downtown. I went to hear him. Robert Dunn went with me. We were the only two white guys in the room. They set me up on the stage. Then they had a Q&A time. Dr. Hill, great pastor out in Los Angeles. He preached the gospel. They tried to kill him in Los Angeles. Somebody asked a question, Pastor, what, what kind of church discipline do y'all practice when some of the brothers have affairs with women in the church? <laughs> he said, we have a committee for that. I'll never forget it. He said, they're the three biggest guys in the church. He said, we go to their house and we talk to them. If they do it again, we go back to the house and talk to them. If they do it a third time, we take them behind the building and beat the hell out of them. That usually works. <laughs> now, I didn't say that, and James didn't say that, but E.V. Hill said it. I guarantee you did. So our new committee structure comes out in January. <laughs> I'm looking for three big men, all right? I, Sexual perversion is rampant in our world. If you're going to name the name of Jesus, love your spouse. And if you hadn't got a spouse, no, no, no sex allowed. It's hard to believe that this is hard preaching. But it's hard. I mean, the, the world has so believed a lie that to tell the truth sounds like hate. Amen. But our job is to speak that truth with the love of Calvary. I got a letter right here. I handed it to me this morning. They're not here, I don't think. The Carriage House girls gave me a note this morning. I went to one of their little get-togethers, and they all signed me a note. Let me tell you, there's no righteousness on this paper. Not a name. But oh, how grateful they are for a church that loves them. Praise the Lord. Stuff they've been involved in, just awful. But the grace of God covers a multitude of sin. Oh, yes, sir. There's the spiritual issue. The more, and then thirdly, there's the ritual issue where he said you do not eat blood. 
What does that mean? Well, in Leviticus 17, verse 11, you find there's two things about blood. Number one, life is in the blood. And secondly, atonement is in the blood. And it was, in their case, in their day, their ritual. To drain blood, fry it neat. And pastor says, don't do that. Because it's an offense to the Levitical teaching. And you should refrain from that. There's some stuff we ought to refrain from. I'm a college football fan. I go to games. Uh, But I don't know how much longer I'm going to go. They've about ruined the sport I love. And let me tell you what's ruined it. Transfer portal. NIL money. And alcohol sales in the stadium. It's awful. I mean college kids falling down drunk. And their mom and daddy with them. I mean, you used to have to be creative to drink at a football game. You had to steal little bottles from somewhere and put it in your pocket. Not now. I was walking across the campus of school I go to yesterday, and there's scriptures written on all the sidewalks. I said, somebody's standing for Jesus on this campus. I was walking down one of those sites and found tracks. They, they'd been, somebody had been passing out tracks. I said, son, they've come to a fertile field. God knows they need to be salvation on this campus. On every campus. That's why I'm pouring a lot of my time and life and energy and effort into what we do on Tuesday night with these college kids out here. I'm too old. I get in their way, but I'm I'm putting people in the way that know what they're doing. But I hang out with them. You see, there are these ritual issues that if you stand for Christ, you'll stand against. It makes you be an odd duck. It, It makes you look weird. But the leaders have got to tell the truth. And call the people to righteousness. Not to hypocrisy, not to self-righteousness. But to walk in godliness and goodness. When leaders stand for biblical truth, the church will say amen. But there's a third thing very quickly. The church will say amen when, when the church itself is unified and encouraged. I want you to look in verses 30, 31, 32 right here. And then I'll give an invitation, make an appeal to your heart to come to Jesus Come be a part of our family. Look in verse 30 through 31 and 32. And when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. So they left Jerusalem where they'd had the council. They went back uh, north. They went back to Antioch. And, And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. So they read this letter that James had written. And when they read it, they said amen. There's where the title of the sermon comes from. They rejoiced. Uh, glory, glory. They, they rejoice because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged 
and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. I want you to notice three or four things. Out of Number one, they gathered the church. They gathered the church. We need to continue to gather the church. A lot of the church has gotten scattered through this COVID stuff, and we've been our own enemy with, with people online, a lot of other things. I'm telling you, staying at home forever. Thank God for media and what we can do. We reach out to people. It's a great tool. We're not going to stop it. We're going to encourage it. We're going to do it. But when you begin to stay home and never come to the church house, it's like sitting in front of a fake fire at your house. You don't get warm there. You got to have some of this. You got to shake a hand. You, for those that can't come, we love you. We thank God, but we, if you can come, we invite you back to the house of God. Amen. Come on. When you're ready, come. We're going to continue to give it to you. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to preach. But we invite you here. They gathered the church at Antioch. They didn't have any online in Antioch. No TV. Then they read the letter. There, there's something about just reading this book together that blesses. Just, just read the book. Just read the book. It, it, it blesses as you... They read the letter. Then the Bible says they were encouraged and they were strengthened. We talked about those two words last week to put courage in. The word strengthen to make them firm. To give them a backbone that they had stand for the Lord. And it says, I'm so glad this is in the text. They strengthened the brethren with a lengthy sermon. Let the church say amen. amen. It was a lengthy, not some little sermonette for Christianettes. I mean, this was a lengthy sermon. I heard an old preacher say one time, you preach sermonettes to Christianettes that smoke cigarettes. I don't even know what that means, but he said it. <laughs> and he said, you got to call people to accountability. People ask me from time to time, preacher, how long you preach? I said, till I get done. <laughs> and I have been done before I quit. <laughs> I knew there'd be an amen there. Come on now. Do you know the last word in the Bible? Amen. It's in the last verse. It's into the next of the last verse. When Jesus spoke to them and said, I'm coming quickly. Amen. And the grace of our great God be with you. Amen. There's something about drawing the brethren together. Hebrews 13, 1 says, let the love of the brethren continue. Psalm 133 says the unity of the brothers and the sisters is good. It's like the oil on Aaron's hair and his beard running down on his garments. Good for the people of God to be together, to be one together. When there's unity in the church, the people say, Amen. 
I've been doing this 32 years here. Brother Jerry, didn't I see you back there? Where's Dr. Passmore? See you there? Yeah, stand up right there, preacher. Stand up. Can you stand up? Amen. He's, he's here 17 years, Pastor Jerry, and then he went off to uh, persecute the Florida Baptist people. And then God moved him back here. I tried to tell him this week, I don't have a I don't have a greater encourager in this room than that guy sitting right there. He, he encourages his pastor. And so together, we've, we've and then before he is here, Brother Jeff is here. 17 years, Brother Jeff is here. And Russo Hall got his name on it over there. He used to come in that wheelchair out in the foyer, and he had so encouraged me. I was just a kid preacher. I said, Pastor, you do it good. Good, good. 17 years, 17 years, 30. We've had our ups and downs. There's never been a major breach in the body life of the church. Amen. Never have been a major breach. Amen. Amen. Oh, I didn't say nobody got mad. I mean, I got mad twice, all right? I mean, <laughs> I'm talking about a schism. Difficulty, yes. Hard, yeah. But you have to bring the council together at Jerusalem and deal with it. So we've sought to, to do that from time to time. We have to, but it's just good when the people of God are together in one. And when they are, the church says amen. And that's a good day. God's been faithful to give us good men to lead us in the way and great deacons and staff around us to lead us in the way. Today, if you've never come to Jesus, the man that died on that center cross died for you. If you come to him, he's saved. You say, preacher, you heard me a while ago. No matter what you've done, where you are, he saved you today. If you're here and you know Christ and need to know him, come see us out here. If you're, if you're here today and need a church home, then walk out here to this next step. So I'll be glad to receive you right there. So before you go, no song, John, today. Not even going to ask you to play. Just, just dead quiet, okay? I know I had you come in there a while ago. <laughs> I told him earlier, but when I saw him in my peripheral vision, just, just nothing. What I want you to do, I want you just to get quiet for 30 seconds. Don't talk to anybody. Don't look at your phone. Don't fiddle around. But for 30 seconds, I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. I want you to talk to the Savior. If you need him to save you, ask him. If you need to get right with God right now, you ask him. If you need to forgive somebody, you ask him for strength and power to do it. Whatever your need is, you put it before the Lord. And in 30 seconds, in 30 seconds, Brother John, just begin to play softly. And when he plays, you're dismissed to come see me out here at Next Steps.